2: Now, do you have a bored cat or maybe one who looks more like a hairy ottoman? Or do you got that cat who scarfs down his kibble from the bowl minutes later, leaves you a mound of yuck on your favorite carpet? Guess what? What you feed your cat is certainly important. But as our special guest today will reveal, how you feed your cat is also critical to his overall health. Our special guest today is talented. She's very compassionate. She's a veterinarian. That means she's been to school for many years. And she now has tapped her inventor skills. She's created a scientifically backed new way to feed cats. It's called the No Bowl Feeding System. Please give pause and applause to the remarkable Dr. Liz Bales. Welcome to our show, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Now, folks, Dr. Liz Bales. Is revolutionizing the way cats eat, with the goal to improve their health and, yes, their catitudes. And she's going <laughs> to let the cat out of the bag, or I guess we should say the cat away from the food bowl. Right there after we go. take, there you go. Right after we take this commercial break. So sit, per groom. We'll be right back.
1: Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay, all behave. We'll be right back. OBehave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in a household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
2: Welcome back to the Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is Dr. Liz Vales. She's a veterinarian. She practices at the Red Lion Veterinary Hospital in Newcastle, Delaware. She also writes Ask the Vet, a column that appears on the Caddington, I love that, post.com as well as a blog called com. Now, let's just add the big title of inventor to her, as she is the creator of the No Bowl Feeding System. I mean, come on, Dr. Liz, with all you do, you, you really don't get very many opportunities to take cat naps, do you?
0: <laughs> no, sleeping's not my thing. <laughs>
2: All right. There's work to be done. Yeah, there's work to be done. So you're helping the uh, species who probably next to uh, probably number three on the sleep list, right, of all species, takes more naps than most, and yet you don't get any naps for their benefit.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's my job to help out, so we'll let them rest and I'll get to work.
2: All right, so let's just get going. I mean, how long have you been a veterinarian? And there was an eye-opening experience that you had. You and I talked before, so I want to get into it. But what made you say, I'm going to be a veterinarian when I grow up, and then
0: I'm going to be an inventor? The inventor part was a complete surprise. But the veterinarian part, I was one of those kids. I was doing everything I could from the moment I could to be around animals and to understand them. And that, when I look back on my childhood, it was really understanding their physical and health well-being, but also really understanding the way they tick and then how human behavior interacts with with animal behavior, which I still find absolutely fascinating. And I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to go to vet school where I worked mostly on their physical well-being and understanding the body system of animals. and, uh, And I took it from there. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up in Philadelphia, where I still sit. oh okay, cool.
2: <laughs> You're on the Schuylki. I remember that i I used to live in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. I worked at Prevention magazine, so I would take the back' oh, roads great. into Philly and get my that's where I learned how to eat steamed mussels with french fries. I don't know why yeah. is that a is that a Philly thing besides the famous cheesesteak?
0: We've got a little bit of everything here, but I wouldn't yeah. say it's necessarily a silly thing, but I'm glad that we can that to you.
2: <laughs> and growing up, what kind of critters did you have as a young girl?
0: You know, it's interesting, and I think this fostered my, my love for animals. My parents weren't really into pets, so I found animals anywhere I could, including whatever I could find in my backyard. And there was a big pet store in Jenkintown, which is where I grew up, called Martin's Aquarium. Mm-hmm. And I would, it was the seventies, so people let their kids run free. And from an early age, I would walk myself down to Martin's Aquarium and spend the whole day roaming around. They had, you know, some, they had everything, dogs, cats, parrots. And then we did get a family dog, but that did, and that was great, but that didn't really quench my thirst. And I was a big horse lover. Oh. So by the time I was five, I found myself, uh, stable to ride at. And at the barn, there was everything, dogs and lots of barn cats and lots of horses. And so from as soon as they would let me, I would trade mucking stalls and doing whatever I could to work around the barn for riding lessons. And really, if I wasn't in school, you could find me mostly at all around farms with a great hero of mine, Dormouse was, was her name. The Dormouse! Instructor. <laughs> that was yeah. Dormouse was her name. She was the instructor. And I really grew up. At the barn, learning about animals in that way from from my friends and teachers at the barn.
2: And you ended up going through vet school at uh, a very very esteemed uh, school, University of Pennsylvania. And aren't you on? Uh, you got some kind of fancy title with them now, don't you?
0: Well. It's such an extraordinary opportunity, and after graduation, I like to give back, if I can, in a meaningful way, and I was asked to be on the Dean's Alumni Committee, where whatever opportunities we can, we're called upon to fill some holes and help the university out, and mine's been um, speaking to the students and and alumni a bit to get them excited about, about the opportunities at Penn, so that's been really fun.
2: That sounds great. And what's the best thing you enjoy being as a veterinarian? I mean, you get all kinds of, you get the nice kitties and the nice doggies, but then you get the, hey, vet, what are you doing? Don't touch me.
0: (laughs) You know, that is such an extraordinary opportunity, really, and it's one of my favorite things about being a vet. Once you've been doing anything long enough, it can become routine. So, you know, the actual mechanics of what I do can become routine of these are the vaccines and these are the antibiotics and that sort of thing. But what's never routine are the interaction with the animals themselves and trying to make them feel as comfortable and relaxed in their experience in my exam room as possible and communicating with their, with their parents and making them feel like they can ask me any question and that I can be a, a helper and a guide through their medical process, and and if I can, raise their awareness about how to care for their pet. And that never gets old. It's really well, I exciting. Have,
2: I have to tell you, that I bring in all three of my pets, my two dogs and my cat, and when we have to get the routine vaccinations, and I bring them in all three in one room on purpose because we call it vet roulette. What do you think of that? Don't, <laughs> which one's going to be poked
0: or prodded? <laughs> it definitely adds an extra extra layer of challenge when you have, because not only then is it the interactions between the vet and the animal that's on the table and the parent, but that animal is then interacting with its housemates right. Right during the process, which I happen to love. We in the profession call it a uh, multi-pet appointment, and okay, it's one of you my should call it,
2: You should call it vet roulette. I think you could, you know. <laughs> but what I do, it there's a reason, and it, it is I want to make every visit to the veterinarian nice, and I'm very lucky that Cleo and Kona and, and Casey are buds. So they kind of hang out and, you know, I put a towel down for Casey. on. He's the cat on the counter. Cleo's a, a retired surf dog and she's only 12 pounds. So she gets the towel and little Kona gets, you know, the bench seat. But I'm doing that to make it comfortable. I'm not trying to challenge the veterinarian. But it, the first time I moved here to the Dallas area and my new vet, they're like, what? <laughs> <And, but laughs> no, There's
0: three. All, I all agree with you. Are,
2: they're all doing little pet tricks for him, including the cat. And and Dr. Shiplove's like, can we have your pets come every visit? Because these are the easiest pets to to handle. But you're the vet. But you know what I'm talking about. I want them to be at ease. We agree with you in the veterinary
0: profession, and there's a real, you know, I think it's hard to put yourself out of your pet parent's shoes in the exam room and imagine what it's like to be a vet uh, on the other side of the table. We have a lot going on, and we want to make sure that we handle the medical side pristinely for every single appointment, and that's a lot to think about. It's, It's, you know, there's a lot going on on that side. But there's been a lot of focus and attention lately on making sure that we remember the humanity of the pet parent and really what that experience is like on an emotional level for for the animal that's on the table. And and that's something I personally find really rewarding. And I'm very excited to speak. Can I mention the movement?
2: Yeah, because we've had Dr. Marty on the air. Go for it. We need to educate. And then we're (laughs) going to come up with another word that you've created. So
0: go for it. Say those words. So I'm really excited about the fear-free movement. Really, really excited and, And I've had the chance to meet Dr. Becker and learn a lot about it. And now I'm going to be contributing to Fear Free uh, with their environmental enrichment information. It's such an exciting time to take a step back and reevaluate what that experience is like from the other side of the table and, and make sure that we make it a positive one and not just race through our work. And, and I would encourage the pet parent to think about trying to look at their veterinarian in a f- fear-free way, to choose a veterinarian that you feel you can communicate with, you can ask questions of. We want to answer all your questions, but if you don't bring it up, And you think of it when you get home and then you're angry that you forgot to ask it. That's not helping anybody. So we don't want to make you feel intimidated. We want to make you feel happy and comfortable and like you can ask us anything. So think about the relationship that you have with your vet and choose one where where you can have that sort of fluid conversation and uh, everyone will get more out of the experience.
2: All right. Well, it's time to get the cat away from the bowl. And you and I talked earlier, I I do write the nutrition column for Catster magazine, and this is what sparked you on my show is the fact that not only are you a very compassionate, well-knowledged veterinarian, but you realized there's something wrong, and there's more and more cats that are living indoors, and they're just, frankly, bored out of their head, and every day they get a bowl of kibble or maybe a little wet food too, and... (sighs) I can just hear the sighs of cats all over <laughs> America and the world.
1: Oh, great.
2: So <laughs> be the cat. Tell me what's going on inside our cat's minds and what sparked you to say, we've we got to change this up. This is not going well.
0: So it's kind of a big topic, so I'll try to try to slice right. it up. We really only have four
2: hours sense. left, so go for it, Dr. Liz.
0: <laughs> Great. And I'm going to need a chalkboard and some Okay. Chalkboard. Okay. <laughs> but the, one of the really important things to understand is that cats are hunters and they are what we use, the word predators. They actually need to hunt. And that can be shocking to you when you're sitting in your living room with your adorable cozy cat sitting on your lap that they're a predator. But whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that is the way nature made them. And by not providing The ability for them to carry out their predatory instincts in the indoor environment, we're actually making them sick. There's a lot of data in so many different categories, but we can look at at obesity, for instance. Right now, 58.2% of cats in America are overweight or obese, and that number is up 90% in the past decade. So uh, that alone says, and in the past decade, there's been the rise of the popularity of wet food and there's been the rise of the popularity of raw food. That's all happened in the past decade. So what I think you summed it up when, when you opened our interview today that how we feed our cats is just as important as what we feed our cats. And in that same decade, the recommendation of keeping cats indoors has been strongly asserted by the veterinary community. And, you know, just in the past 24 hours, I have, been made aware of three cats in my circle that have been hit by cars outdoors so keeping them indoors is really safer I mean we've got cars we've got fights we've got infectious diseases we have cats are also prey to different uh, to other animals so we do recommend that you keep them indoors and we're very aware of that now and and really pushing that but what we need to remember that when we bring them indoors we eliminate their ability to exercise all of their innate instincts Our houses are wonderful and warm and kind and loving and most importantly safe, but they're actually just giant cages. And if you think about your house that way, then it starts to make sense. I need to bring in the indoor environment what my cat would get for itself in the outdoor environment. So understanding the science of the natural hunter in the cat is really critical to being able to understand how to provide for them in a way that's healthy in the indoor environment.
2: And you talk about the seeking circuit, and uh, you know, there's kind of a mantra you can help us remember. So, tell us about what the seeking circuit is.
0: So, cats will go through a normal series of behaviors, and I've kind of oversimplified the categories. If you check out my website, you'll see I have a nice little infographic there.
2: And we need to hunt- go to nobowlcat.com. That's N O B O W L CAT.com. Sorry, just need to jump in there.
0: Thank you. And if you look on it, uh, the science behind all of this is, is a lot of, as I call it, blah, blah, blah. If you're interested in reading <laughs> a lot of science, it's on there because I, I think the blah, blah, blah is so interesting. But cats need to hunt, catch their prey, play with their prey before they kill it, and then groom and then sleep. And that's the seeking circuit. Hunt, catch, play, eat, groom, sleep. In hunt and catch, those behaviors can be broken down into more specific dark eyes. There's more to it. But but that's the simplified version. And it's really important that they go through those series of behaviors as part of their daily life. And in nature, this is an amazing fact that most people are unaware of. Cats need to hunt and catch prey somewhere between eight and 20 times a day. And that behavior goes on 24 hours a day. So people are, are mostly doing their activities during the day. Most of us, anyway, where species like raccoons are, are mostly doing their behaviors at night, but cats it's right. a twenty-four hour a day cycle. So they want to go through those behaviors intermittently and then sleep, which we know cats sleep somewhere around sixteen hours a day. You brought it up in the beginning, very actually, but that needs to be broken up by these behaviors. So the seeking part of looking for their food, which is something we've completely removed, and even other puzzle toys have completely removed they are actually looking for their prey somewhere between 60 and 80% of their waking hours. It's spent roaming around looking for prey. And then they identify their prey, and then they have that burst of activity where they hunt it and catch it and manipulate it before killing it and eating. And it turns out that the, the behaviors that happen during those times are really very critical to their well-being.
2: Yes, and we're going to explain a little bit about some of the physical health and mental bennies of just saying Bye bye, Bowl, with the great Dr. Liz Bale after we pay for this show. So, everybody sit, <laughs> stay, groom. We'll be right back.
1: Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All behave. We'll be back in a flash right after these messages.
0: Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years.
1: Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Hi, this
0: is Mandy Bourne. You're listening to O Behave on Pet Life Radio with your host, Arden Moore, who's now family. We figured that out.
1: We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to O Behave. Here's Arden.
2: Welcome back to the O Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I am getting catty with a purpose with the one, the only Dr. Liz Bale. She's a veterinarian. Her practice is in the Red Lion Veterinary Hospital in Newcastle. And we've been kind of teasing you guys, so it's time to make the big talk. This lady invented a feeding system, it's called the No Bowl. And I got to tell you, pet safety cat, Casey, my cool orange tabby, he's got the longest legs, Dr. Liz, on the planet. He stretches out. I do my best to do these little makeshift feeding food puzzles. I take a toilet paper roll and cut holes in it, put the kibble in, seal the ends. Voila! But we tested the no bowl, and you saw the video we did on YouTube. He got a jackpot. So tell us a little bit about your invention. And uh, Casey says, thank you. You're marvelous, Dr.
0: Liz. <laughs> So I would go to lecture after lecture in the past 16 years that I've been a vet and hear about all these important things. And like you said, the toilet paper roll solution is what was provided for us. And I thought, you know, we now know just how important all of these behaviors are for a cat. And not everybody can do these arts and crafts projects constantly. How are we going to bring this way of eating to our cats? And that's why I developed the Noble Feeding System. So cats, as we said, to hunt, catch their prey, play with their eat, groom, and sleep at least five times a day in a 24-hour period. And in addition to that, the cardboard and other solutions that we have don't provide any way for them to use their teeth or claws in the hunting Mm -hmm. process. Now, not every cat will choose to, and not every cat, unfortunately, has claws, but cats need to have all of their predatory tools available to them at mealtime. So I needed to incorporate at least five opportunities for the cat to hunt during the day. I needed to be able to hide them so the cat could actually seek it out and eat on their own schedule. I needed them to be able to use their teeth or claws if they wanted to. Some cats want to pick things up and throw them around, and they can't do that really with a paper towel holder or, or, or a soft, smooth plastic. Right. I needed them to have portion control. And I needed a way to teach them how to transition from the bowl onto a hunting way of life. So that's how I came up with all the criteria to develop the noble feeding system. So we've got a trainer because the hunting instinct is natural, but the technique of how to hunt is taught from mother to kitten. So I needed a way to sort of be the mama cat here and teach, and that's the trainer. Then mm-hmm. we've got five nobles, which are portion control of containers. You measure out your daily food. And split it between the five. It's a food-safe, BPA-free plastic inner container. But and also, fun- we
2: need to we got to share what it looks like. It it's cute. It's sort of a teal blue, and it looks like a mouse. Somebody put a a slipper pillow on it, and it's got the little whiskers. <laughs> I'm playing with one right now because Casey's right here, listening to every word you're saying. He's sitting on my desk, going, "Hello, hello, hello." <laughs> He's a genius. He is a genius. So yeah, so you have it kind of shaped like a mouse, but it's durable. So
0: we, we wanted to be able to have that covering that we call the skin. So cats could really use their teeth and claws if they want to in a safe way at mealtime. And we are seeing that, like I said, every cat's different. And that's what's so wonderful about cats. Anybody who's had more than one cat knows they're not all the same. So some cats will find it and then just want to roll it with their face or paws and others like to pick it up and throw it around. But almost universally they prefer that fabric feel on their paws and face to a hard plastic.
2: Okay. Or a toilet paper roll.
0: Or a toilet paper roll. <laughs> I mean, I think honestly as a veterinarian as, as, and as a cat advocate, which I call an advocate for raising the standard of care for cats, I feel very strongly that anything's better than a bowl. So if you're feeding wet food, for instance, You can portion that into a tablespoon at a time when you you can and put it on the saucer and put them in different places of your house so the cat gets to seek and find and eat. The other thing that we didn't talk about yet is that cats are solitary hunters. It's a really important thing to understand. Cats don't have a lot of ways to show us their stress. So people think that they're not stressed by eating from a bowl, but science is here to tell you, and this is not my science. This is the established science of the veterinary behavior community. Cats are solitary hunters. They actually want to hunt and eat alone. So, for instance, in a multi-cat household, when we put a couple of bowls in the kitchen even if it's a feeding station where there's multiple bowls in the same part of the kitchen. And I can't tell you, Arden, every single day I see pictures of this on Facebook because it's cute to people to see a bunch of cats lined up eating. It's very adorable. It is not adorable to the cats. They do not like it. They want to be able to eat alone. So just putting the food in multiple places around the house is a great first step. Also, a little in fact, is that right. cats prefer their water in a separate place than their food. So to have different water stations around the house, the kitchen kitchen is a person construct. Cats do not need or want necessarily to be confined to the kitchen to eat. If that's the only option available to you, then fair enough. But if, if you can, let's use the whole house to be able to feed our cats with multiple and separate feeding stations, particularly right. important in the multi-cat household. So the, the, the first thing that we can do is portion the food and put it all around the house. That's a great first step. If you're into arts and crafts and can keep up with it, you described earlier how you can make those toilet paper rolls. Right. For cats, we need to understand that whole seeking circuit and that mealtime is not just about obtaining calories. It's the essential time for them to exercise their predatory instincts. And that means moving their body and engaging physically with their food. So to be able to have the food in some sort of puzzle feeder and manipulate it to get the food out is even better. And then to be able to have the portion control in different locations in the house, have that fabric covering to be able to interact with the food is what I feel. And the veterinary community is really on board here as the optimal way to feed your cat. I've been so lucky with my my affiliation with Penn to be able to talk with the leading veterinarians in the world, actually, um, from ICAT Care, Dr. Sarah Ellis, who wrote a wonderful book. I hope I get this title right. Yes, you can train your cat. The a trainable cat. I should get that right, because Sarah is a magnificent veterinarian, and she's in England. And Dr. Sarah Heath is also an incredible behaviorist from England. Dr. Tony Buffington, who's at um, University of California, Davis. I've been able to go around the world, really, and talk to the leading veterinarians, to find the best ways that I can to meet all the natural instincts of cats and put it in one system, to be able to to, to deliver it, and and that's super exciting for me. Like you, like I said in the beginning, I never intended to be an inventor.
2: Right. Well, you yeah. actually, I do have to give a shout out to Dr. <laughs> Tony because he's been on our show, and you ha- you called him something, and I'm all shook up when I heard you say, "What do
0: you call him?" <laughs> Cat Elvin. Okay. Uh, to me, to me, he's an icon. Right. You know, I learned his research when I was a student, and he has spent his career in a really smart way, uncovering the layers of what seemed like a simple problem of cats peeing outside the litter box. It's not simple at all. It's what we call multifactorial. There's a lot of different components to why cats would urinate outside the litter box. And he has spent his career understanding that. And trying to find the different ways to help cats, cat. And uh, I am just in awe of his brilliance and his devotion and his work to a problem that a lot of people treated very simply and tried to solve very simply with antibiotics. Because right. that's what works for people. But in cats, as it turns out, with his something around 35 years of devoted research, in most cases, antibiotics are not the answer. In most cases, the answer, and first of all, the answer is veterinary care to make sure what the, the actual answer is for your cat. Your cat could have a stone in his bladder. Your cat could have diabetes. Your right. cat could have could have a urinary tract infection, although the odds of that are very, very low. But what he has uncovered in his research is the topic of environmental enrichment is the most important thing that we can do to care for our cat's urinary health, which I think is genius. I mean, who who would have thought that providing... These outdoor resources indoors is what we can do to help cats. And the lack of those outdoor resources indoors is what's making cats sick. I'm just in awe of his work. And, and it's his work and then the rest of us has built on and that I have learned from. I was just up to two, two years ago, I was just a good old practicing vet and a mom who happened to care a lot about this. And I attended a lecture that covered the lack of environmental enrichment and how many health topics it touched for cats. So it touches diabetes, it touches obesity, it touches skin, non-allergic skin disease. The lack of environmental enrichment is a a big component there. The behavior problems, urinating outside the litter box, being destructive, inter-cat aggression, aggression of cats towards people. And every one of these lectures would tie back to environmental enrichment and the hunting and natural feeding behaviors of cats. And it really dawned on me in that lecture. It was actually a few days worth of lectures, but this is the hub. This is the center of all of these problems. And a statistic that I had heard before in school but uh, didn't penetrate in the same way was that the number one cause of death for cats is not cancer. It's not diabetes. It's not obesity. The number one cause of death for cats is euthanasia. Because of all of these problems that people can no longer tolerate, many cats end up back in the shelter where they're just way overpopulated and those cats are put to sleep. And sort of the all of these things coming at me rapid fire in, in this lecture series, I walked out of there and I said, well, I, I am not taking care of my cats. I know right. all this now and I know how important this is and I'm not doing a good job. How can I do a better job? I need tools, I need resources, I need more information to be able to bring all of this information to my patients. And and I said to my cat friends, veterinarians, as we were walking, I said, what do you guys do? And they said, Kind of nothing. I mean, what are we supposed to do? It's We don't have the tools. And I got all kinds of crazy. I got really upset. <laughs> somebody somebody well, needs to do something. I went through the list of all the people that I thought should be improving this, and then I landed on me.
2: That's right. We're going to be wrapping up soon because I want to make sure we get this all covered. You also not only have gone to those lectures and had that wake-up moment, but turns out you went to somebody's birthday party and the father is, uh, is somebody that helps inventors. I want to kind of give the short version of it because I really want people to know this is a new product. It's called No Bowl Feeding System, and you can go to NoBowlCat.com. And Pet Safety Cat Casey has, has demonstrated he loves it. But fate comes in different places, right, like kid birthday parties.
0: It really is. If, there was, if there's a kitty godmother up there who's taking care of us all, <laughs> when I got home from that conference all excited, I went and drew exactly what I could do to fulfill all these needs.
1: But then nice. I looked at it and
0: thought, well, what am I going to do with that? And the very next day, like you said, I was at a kid's birthday party and um, happened to be talking with, with uh, the grandpa of the kid and um, said, well, what do you do? And he said, I'm an inventor and a medical device manufacturer. I thought you have got to be kidding me. You sit down. <laughs> yeah. Sit, stay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told him all about my dream and my vision, and he believed in it and got some other people on board to believe in it, too. And You did a Kickstarter, it. didn't you? And you,
2: you blew, did. You blew the uh, limit. What you thought you were going to have to raise, you went above and beyond. That shows the interest and the need, I think.
0: It really does, and, and since the Kickstarter campaign, because we did so well on Kickstarter, it got a lot of media attention. And the great thing that's happening is that disinformation and the natural feeding behaviors of cats are becoming a topic that everyone's talking about, and that makes me really excited. And now we have the solution.
2: So I ordered one, and Casey loves it. I might put my food in there next time. I can <laughs> put some nuts in there or something and batting around. M&Ms
0: are nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It slows it down. <laughs> Yeah, meow,
2: I look good. But, you know, people think they have to have cats on feeding schedules, and, and you're kind of busting that mindset.
0: Yeah, I always just go back to what would they do for themselves outside and try to give them that. And it's it's a bit of a transition because they're used to meal feeding. We have to acknowledge how much influence we have had, unfortunately, in a way that's not serving them by the way we have kept them. So they're used to eating big meals. They're used to eating from bowls because we did that. So we've got to gradually transition them back over into a more natural way of self-regulation. And that takes some time with NoWool. Uh, and all that information is on the website and in the, in the package. Or, or you can always email me because there's nothing I love talking about more than that. But I go back to the science of multiple small meals throughout the day and night and that the cat is in charge of their feeding schedule. The portion we've, we've just got to control, we've made our cat food so tasty. I say to people who have a trouble grasping this: Imagine if all you could eat was steamed chicken with no salt or seasoning at all, and steamed broccoli. Right. When you were full, you'd probably stop. Right. But we have such delicious food that it makes it hard to self-regulate. And we've done the same thing with cat food. It's very rewarding for a human to see their cat really enjoy their meal. And so we've made our cat food very palatable, which is a fancy word for yummy. And so we've sort of handicapped them in their ability to self-regulate. So we've got to do that. We've got to know with a healthy daily, I call it daily ration. So how much total food in a 24-hour period should a cat have? And we, we do have to monitor that and then divide it up into the multiple small meals, and then we hide it. In the beginning, again, they need to transition. So in the beginning, you hide it really simply in the kitchen, right where they would have eaten. And as they catch on and perfect their technique, you gradually hide it more and more difficult to the point where my cat, Carlos, can actually, I put a Noble inside a shoebox. I put the lid on the shoebox, and I hide the shoebox. And wow. he can find it. <laughs> We have so underestimated their abilities and, and, he, and Arvin, he purrs the whole time he's doing it. So he, he, hunts for it. He finds it. He gets the lid off. He interacts with it and then, he, and gets all the food out and then he eats and he's so happy the whole time and he's a healthy weight. And he's a sphinx, isn't he? A sphinx guy? I was going to say, I, I, it's very easy to tell if he was, were to become overweight because he's not wearing any kitty clothes. You can see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's swimsuit season 24-7. <laughs> in <Scarlet>. That's right. <laughs> well, so he, um, yes, he is a sphinx.
2: And I know this is a very, I can tell you, you're very passionate about this. And I think that's why it's successful because it's almost like, uh, like you said, the kitty godmother somewhere up there said, this is going to work out. You put a lot of labor into this. This is a new product, but I think it's going to revolutionize and better the lives of indoor cats. And I even see on your blog that uh, you've gone across the pond and uh, the no bowl feeding system is now there in the United Kingdom.
0: It is. We are available in the UK and with the support of of the veterinarian and the veterinary community over there as well, which is super exciting. And we've had emails in the past week from Austria, Australia, Germany. Again, it's not my science. So veterinarians around the globe have all been exposed to the same science, but without a solution. So it's super exciting to think that we can be on our way to providing for our cats what what they need. An indoor cat eating from From us that we are serving inside. We need to serve their predatory souls, not just their bodies. Oh,
2: nice. That's a very good one. (laughs) I'm going to get that tattooed.
0: (laughs) You know what? Maybe we can go together, Arden.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll just have to. Well, not too big, but yeah, that could be interesting. Um, And I do hope one day that Pet Safety Cat, Casey, and I can meet you in person. We do travel a lot and give pet health behavior and first aid classes, and he does purr like a Mack truck, and uh he's, like, <laughs> loving you. He's, like, he's writing, Dear Dr. Liz, I
0: love my dog,
2: because I have to live with five friggin' dogs. Right, Casey? And that's another
0: thing, Art, and that, that it's really difficult for, for us pet owners to – to understand that just because we have five dogs does yeah. not mean that our Casey doesn't need what he needs. You are the steward of his well-being, in addition to the dog. So you got to take that on. And I've read what you've written. You're doing a really good job of finding ways for him to hunt in privacy. Cause a, right. a cat doesn't, as much as a cat does not want to eat at a, at a dish with six other cats, a cat really doesn't want to eat with a dog. And you're doing really interesting things to figure out. Every household's different. Our feeding schedules are different. Our kids, our commitments. How can we, in our realistic environment, find a way to serve our dog and care for our cats? Because, frankly, the dogs are always getting what they need. That's and the right. cats are kind of getting shafted.
2: Well, I do like where when I call treat time, they all come. Ready for it? Let's see. Kona, Cleo, Jeannie, Maddie, Gracie, and then Casey. And they line up, and the cat pushes to the front, sits, and gives me a paw, and gets a little treat, and all the dogs are sitting wait. But I am <laughs> trying at least a few times to have his meal time be in my office here with the door shut, because you know the dogs, you can hear him going. <laughs> Under yeah, the um, yeah. door, but Cakes is like, ha, 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 doggies, I'm on the hunt. Um, now <laughs> I think we, it's a
0: really important thing for us to talk about is that we can do it. Shut right. The door. And, you can do and, it.
2: And um, we are speaking with Dr. Liz Bale. She's the inventor of the no-bowl feeding system. But you have hashtag lose the bowl. How do people upcycle? What do they do with that old feeding bowl?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Hopefully sometime maybe in the spring or summer um, when things settle down here a little bit for us, we're going to launch a contest. Okay. Lose the bowl contest. And we want to know what you guys are going to do with it. I think that hats are a nice option or a place to put loose change or your keys. Right. Um, But if you have six cats and you've had six bowls, it might be time for an art project. So stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned because lose the bowl, um, we are going to have to upcycle these bowls and figure out a a fun thing to do with them all.
2: Well, one of my most uh, favorite creative ideas that you put in your packet was knee pads for rollerblading.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say I was an advocate for for knee well-being. I'm a cat advocate.
2: (laughs) Yes, and I think the whole world needs to be catvocates, and uh, I'm happy to be a catvocate for Casey and all the cats that I can help people learn how to keep them safe with Pet First Aid. But I think catvocate is the 2017 word.
0: I love it. Welcome to the community. We need everybody. We need everybody.
2: And a little uh, scratch under the chin for Mr. Carlos, and we can't forget your dog Plankton. Love the names. I'm sure you're going to say, <laughs> "I didn't do it." My daughter named them. You know, typical parent answer. We can't verify. <laughs> Maybe a little SpongeBob influence,
0: I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> That's right. And uh, again, I thank you for being a guest on our show. We're speaking with Dr. Liz Bale. She's the inventor of the no bowl feeding system. She's a practicing veterinarian and I think she's kind of a cool chick. So join her Catacet army because it will be perfect solution to keep your cat healthy, both mentally, physically. I mean cats need to work their noodle as well as their muscle, right, Doctor Liz?
0: And exercise their predatory instinct. It's not go. just boor- I think bored makes it seem like an option. This isn't an option for a cat. It is an actual biochemical need. And we need to be a good steward of their needs and up our game, time to up our game.
2: And you said something. I want to repeat that. It's my favorite quote of the whole episode. Indoor cats, you need to serve their, go ahead, their predatory. They're,
0: we need to serve their nutritional needs in addition to serving their predatory soul.
2: All right. That's good. All right. And at this time, I also, oh, please go to nobowlcat.com after the show. You'll see what we're talking about. It's a great website. If you're a professional veterinarian or a pet parent, there's a lot of things there for you. There's some cool videos. And uh, I also, at this time, want to thank my producer, Doctor A Doctor. Hey, I just elevated you, Mark. Mark Winter. He is the wizard of Paws. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We're the number one pet radio network on the planet. And he told me we have seven hundred and fifty thousand people listening to my show alone all over the world. Wow. 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 Yeah. Let's yeah. make
0: 750,000 cat tickets.
2: Yeah, there you go. There you go. And guess what? None of them, they're not all my relatives. So that's actually
0: <laughs> cool too. That's a big thing. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. So you can follow me on uh, Facebook at Arden Moore or go to the Pet First Aid for You website. Please go to nobowlcat.com, see what we're talking about. It's time to revolutionize our indoor cats to enrich them. And it starts by losing the bowl. Again, thank you, Dr. Liz and Mark. Thanks for being that quiet guy behind the curtain, keeping the mic warm. And until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four leggers out there. Oh Behave.
1: Coast to coast and around the world, it's all oh, Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown.